Morning, Van. How are you? Good morning, Martin. Nice to talk to you, you superstar. You, you've been all over the uh, the television screens in my house. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I had some very interesting media adventures yesterday. I am not going to lie. <laughs> Did you call Carl Stefanovic, uh, whatever his name is, Stefanovic, a lizard man? No, I in fact uh, came out rather strongly against any claim that Carl Stefanovic is a is a lizard person. Okay, but the the problem we have with these conspiracy cults, Marcus, is that. If you are a media person, eventually they they decide that you're either a member of an evil cabal or an alien (laughs) or a clone or a shape-shifting lizard. So it's really just a matter of time before that happens to you. Yeah, uh, well, I hope not. I hope not. (laughs) Uh, Look, congratulations, by the way, on the book. My understanding is that now uh, your wonderful piece of literature, which I read the other day, QAnon and on, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, is now number one bestseller in media studies. Yay to you. Thank you. Not just media studies, but also communications and conspiracy theories, and it's made the top 100 on the Amazon Kindle charts. So it's a bestseller. I can say I'm a best-selling author. My mother, if she's listening, hello, I hope you're proud. <laughs> well, she should be. Well done to you. It's a great read. And again, I I commend it to anybody. Grab a copy of it. You, you follow the link on our Facebook site there. You can order it online. However you like to consume your books, do it. It's a really, really good page turner. Uh, now, uh, something you've written just uh, in the last couple of days in The Guardian and this changes the subject, and I think it's an important subject as well. In modern Australia, why must caring for your family come second to your work duties? Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, it, a really important story for people to follow. So currently, there are 200,000 Australians who have said that they want to work more, that they are looking for work but can't find work that will accommodate their care commitments, whether those commitments are to their children or to their parents or to somebody who they love who has a disability. And our economic system is not creating space for those people to both care for their families and to work. At the same time, we have the hospitality industry saying that there are 100,000 jobs that they're trying to fill, and we have the agricultural sector saying there are 22,000 jobs that they're trying to fill. Now, you don't have to be great at maths to go, well, we've got all this spare capacity in the labour market. Why don't we make jobs more flexible so people who want to work can work? I mean, this is what we're always told. The Liberals are always saying, oh, you know, if you want a job, you can get a job. Well, not if the choice is to abandon your children or abandon your parents or somebody else. Like, no one's going to make that choice. Family comes first. Well, absolutely. And and the problem that we have... Yeah. is that employers are going, yeah, too hard, too expensive. We'll just import temporary visa holders from other countries. People who, by the way, do not get to be permanent migrants, people who do not get citizenship rights yeah. and don't have the same political rights as the rest of us, we'll get those people in. And that's a disgusting equation that is absolutely appalling, that systematically disenfranchises Australians who want to work 
from the workforce. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, as you write, caring is harder than work. Let's stop pretending otherwise. The hardest thing about work is organising how to do it around caring commitments. Uh, I mean, you're lucky that your portfolio career of endlessly juggled subcontracting means that you can file this article in the train on the way to deliver clean laundry to your mum in hospital. Hundreds of thousands of other Australians cannot. For all its exertions, mental and physical work at least exists in the realm of the quantifiable. There is a repetition of tasks, a completion of duties, a schedule of hours. But, as you well know, Van, human beings like you and I are chaotic. You know, it's unpredictable. You know, things change. There's shifting chaos around rigid timetables, and when you throw caring into the mix, it becomes even harder. Oh, it's so hard for people. And we're, we're now in this sort of unprecedented generation where they call us the... They were calling us the sandwich generation, and now they're calling us the panini generation because we're being squeezed on both ends. Mm. So you have people who are simultaneously caring for their children and their parents. But this is new in human society to have that sort of double demand. And yet we have a workplace that's not accommodating that. Now, there are heaps of things we can do to fix that. One of them is called childcare. And another one is called aged care. Mm. And another one is called the NDIS and disability services. Like we can actually create a much more productive workforce where people aren't so squeezed by, by using government to allow services to exist that are diverse and accommodating. And the thing is, Marcus, they manage this in other countries. Like I did some work in Sweden a few years ago and I was working out of a government office where there was a childcare centre in the middle of the office floor. Mm. So parents were working at their jobs but could see their children and knew there was an early childhood educator. They had almost no absenteeism whatsoever. Well, there you, go. Yeah. you know, and these kind of things they're being done in other countries and there is no reason why we can't do them here. Well, no, absolutely not. Uh, we need to be a little bit more progressive when we look at these sorts of issues. Be, and I, look, again, I commend this article to anybody. We'll share it uh, online. But Van's article in uh, The Guardian, her recent one, is a, a very important read for carers. In fact, for anybody who's trying to juggle life's you know, work and caring responsibilities, whether it's for young children or for elderly parents, whatever it might be. Van's story that I spoke to... Uh, a government MP about this morning, um, the lovely Helen Dalton, who I affectionately call Auntie Helen. A lot of young, <laughs> a lot of young women in particular, and I mean this, look up to you, uh, read your work, and aspire to the virtues that you talk about. I want to uh, bring this up because cyber safety experts are pleading with parents to speak to children as young as nine about the dangers of sending nude photographs online. Nude pics, sexting has apparently become the normal for our teenagers, young women in particular. And it, it terrifies me. What would you say to, to young women that might listen, are listening now perhaps or listen back to this podcast and even for that matter, young men? Well, I mean, the problem here are the people who take an intimate conversation. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with having an intimate conversation when you're exploring your sexuality. Yeah. But the really important thing is that intimate conversation takes place in an atmosphere of trust. And unfortunately, uh, we have a situation where these images become transacted. You know, people don't... One half of that conversation might think that they're sending a picture to somebody who they can trust and that person is untrustworthy 
and prepared to exploit them. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, sometimes the, the recipient of those messages comes under social pressure from other people, sometimes from adults who are pressuring them and trying to obtain these images for the worst possible reasons. Yeah. And I'd say to people, one, an intimate conversation is always more fun in person. That would be my first piece of advice. Yes. Um, and nobody can transact to something that happens in real life as opposed to an image which can exist forever. Absolutely. Um, my warning is also that the internet is forever. And once those images are out there, you, you can't get them back. You lose control. And the question is, am I really, am I really prepared to lose control over an image of myself? That's, I mean, that's the, the choice that needs to be made. But also, I think it's a really important thing that we recognise that there is this horrible current in society where people are willing to exploit young women in particular and betray their trust. Yeah. And that requires a broader social conversation that we're having in Australia slowly and awkwardly, thanks to people like Grace Payne and Brittany Higgins. Yep. And it's great that those women are getting the platforms they deserve. Uh, well said. But until that behaviour is corrected... Um, I would definitely recommend that intimacy is always more fun in person mm -hmm. and be aware that the person who you're talking to and you're sending pictures to might be under pressure from someone who you don't know, well, who you right. can't see, who you can't control. And really, every time you send an image, be aware, like ask yourself, would I want the whole internet to see this? Because that is something that can happen and does. And that's awful, and that's a pressure that shouldn't be on young women to make that decision. Other people should be better and more moral and more responsible. But this is, unfortunately, the reality of how these systems work. Well said. All right, Van, lovely to chat. Uh, don't forget, Van's book is out. Q and on and on and on and on. Get it from your favourite bookstore or order it online. We'll chat with you again next week. All right, take care, Mark.